0: So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And now I'm praying that my sweat fit will stop. (laughs) Here, I need that thing up there. All right. You are seeing us at our best this morning, y'all. Oh, and I just... Okay, so that's disconnected, Camille, so nobody's going to be able to hear you from now. Oh, look at that. Yeah, okay, so, yeah. It's so good that I got back from Wisconsin just in time to screw everything up. (laughs) Man, oh man. Um, Good to see you all this morning. (laughs) Glad to be here, and before Cody gets up here, I wanted to... um, Before he gets up here again, by the way, stand up, Cody. Cody's tucked in this morning. (laughs) You look scrumptious, Cody. (laughs) I always wanted to say that to him. Anyway, so it is Mother's Day. You heard Caitlin already mention something about that. My sweat foot is continuing, so hopefully I can redeem this. Anyway, um, Mother's Day has become kind of an interesting time in, in the church in the last, I don't know, 15 or 20 years. Uh, churches have 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 struggled to figure out how exactly to handle it because, as a parent, I, I well know—not specifically as a mother, but as a parent—I well know that that parenting is simultaneously the greatest joy I think in life and also the most painful thing in life. And and the funny thing is, is that it never ends. Uh, a number of years ago, before I even had children, I had a a woman tell me, "Well, just wait." until you become a father. Once you become a parent, she said, you wear your heart on the outside of your body for the rest of your life. And I found that to be true. Our children are 21 and 25, and there isn't really an hour that goes by that I don't think about them. My mother's 92, and she's in uh, the severe stages of Alzheimer's and has no idea who I am, but you can tell that she knows that she's supposed to care about me even though she doesn't know who I am. And it's just an, an amazing thing. And, and and so, I know that the the pain of parenting, though, goes beyond just what we have to deal with as as parents. It, it goes into many, many other um, uh, areas as well that are very difficult for us to be able to talk about and address from the front. And so while we celebrate mothers and we appreciate mothers, we also want to acknowledge that it's it's hard and it's and it's a challenge. and and uh, and, and so to be able to address that and pray about it in a way that, that might be effective and inclusive um, has always been a challenge. Tyler James, who was here playing the guitar uh, and is our uh, uh, pastor of families here, uh, he came across this prayer that I, I would like to, um, I'd like to pray for us this morning. And hopefully this is, I found it really powerful and, and helpful. And 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 so I'd like us to bow our heads and just pray uh, right now for this. Uh, Lord God, we, we do know uh, that, We are grateful for mothers. Um, The job that they have is absolutely, uh, tremendously challenging and amazing. It is filled with joy, but it is also filled with heartache. And there are times when mothers don't even get a chance to be a a mother, and, and that is filled with even more pain than some of us could ever understand. And so we pray for mothers and we pray for women this morning and specifically here's who we'd like to pray for we want to pray for those who gave birth this year to their first child we want to celebrate with you we want to pray for those who lost a child this year and let you know that we mourn with you we want to pray for those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badge of food stains we appreciate you We want to pray for those who experienced loss this year through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or running away. We mourn with you as well. We pray for those who walk the hard path of infertility fraught with pokes, prods, tears, and disappointment. We want to walk with you. And we ask that you would forgive us when we say foolish things. We don't mean to make it harder than it is. We pray for those who are foster mothers, Mentor mothers and spiritual mothers, we need you. We pray for those who have a warm and close relationship with your children. We celebrate with you, but we also pray for those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children. We want to sit with you. We want to be available to you. We pray for those who lost their mothers this year. We grieve with you. We pray for those who experienced abuse at the hands of your own mother, and we acknowledge your experience and how painful that is. We pray for those who have lived through driving tests and medical tests and the overall testing of motherhood. We are better for having you in our midst. We pray for those who will have emptier nests in the upcoming year. We grieve and rejoice with you. We pray for those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising. We anticipate with you. This Mother's Day, we walk with you. Mothering is not for the faint of heart, and we have real warriors in our midst. We remember you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Cody. It's all you now.
1: Well, thank you, Frank. That was really powerful. Uh, The first part was really weird, though. Um, I don't know how I feel about being called scrumptious. Actually, you know what? I do know how I feel about being called scrumptious. (laughs) That back. Well, good morning. I'm so glad you guys are here. Uh, We're going to begin this morning by I want to share a quote with you from a guy who is not typically quoted in church. It's uh, by a man named Frederick Nietzsche. If you know anything about Nietzsche, you know why he's not generally quoted in (laughs) church. Um, But he gives language to something that we're going to be talking about today that I think is really helpful. It says this The essential thing in heaven and earth. Is that there should be long obedience in the same direction. There, thereby results, and has always resulted in the long run, something which has made life worth living. The essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be long obedience in the same direction. This is a quote that Eugene Peterson picks up on later and actually writes an entire book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And he uses this to describe the life of faithfulness. What does it mean? to be faithful? What does it really mean to be a Christian living in this world? And he describes it in Nietzsche's terms, a long obedience in the same direction. Well, what Frank read earlier is, I think, a snapshot into what a faithful church looks like. We are taking a look at the long obedience of a faithful church. See, up until this point in the book of Acts, We've been dealing from a timeline standpoint of about a little over a year. Over the next two weeks, what we're going to experience is actually the span of 14 years. What was read actually takes place over a course of probably six years. This is kind of what we're experiencing is is what kind of a film term would be a montage. Basically, it's just kind of little bits and pieces to tell a really long story in a very short period of time. A, a classic montage would be from, like, Rocky IV, for example, when Rocky is training to fight Ivan Drago, and he's in the Russian winter. He's lifting logs above his head. He's chopping them down, doing pull-ups in a barn, which is eerily similar to my morning workouts, which is, <laughs> which is weird. But that's a, c- a classic montage. Like, anytime they show shopping in a movie... It's always done in, with a montage with the great music in the background because, let's face it, shopping's kind of boring. Um, but that's a montage. So it's, that's what we're seeing. We're not seeing a big event, we're not seeing like one, one story. We're seeing multiple little things happen over a period of time, even though it's kind of sh- uh, told in a very short format. So, what we're getting to see in this particular montage is what I just described, a long obedience of a faithful church. We get to see what does it look like for a church to be faithful over time. And so we're going to actually pull out from this kind of six character traits that we see of what they were faithful in. And the first is that they were faithful in their witness. So a faithful church is faithful in its witness. Read again, starting in verse 19. It says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. So this is the same persecution, by the way, that launched Philip out, that kind of caused all of the people that were in the church in Jerusalem to leave and and go other places. This started back in Acts 7 with uh, Stephen. And so they're referring to the same thing. So they're spread out. And at first, they're, they're, they're preaching only to Jews. So they're usually going into the synagogues of these towns, proclaiming Jesus there. But as we saw last week with Peter and Cornelius, that now the good news of Jesus Christ has been made available and open to Gentiles as well. So we're going to see that they begin to say that to them too. Starting in verse 20. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. So first off, Antioch is a huge city. Antioch is not a small town town or anything like that. Antioch is the largest city in kind of that area. It's in modern-day Turkey now. But Antioch is a very big, well-off city. And most of the people living there would have not have been Jewish. And what they're referring to here, this term Hellenist, is just a Greek-speaking Gentile. So it's just somebody who speak, spoke Greek at that time. So they began preaching the Lord Jesus to the Hellenists, to Gentiles. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number of people who believed Turn to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So we see in this story already, so what most commentators say is what I just read takes place over the course of probably three or four years. This is not a short thing. This is them spreading out over time. Everywhere they go, they just proclaim the good news of Jesus. And over time, a great number of people are added to the church, to the point where eventually, after a few years of this, the Jerusalem church hears about it and says, there's a large enough group of people in Antioch that have turned to Jesus that we need to send somebody up there to encourage them to kind of just report back to us about it. And so they send Barnabas. So far in the book of Acts, we've experienced a lot of big events, either big sermons or, or big healings, incredible signs and wonders that results in, in huge numbers of people becoming Christians. What I love about this passage is that there is none of those things that happen in there. We did, there's no one single event, no single story, no single sermon, no single healing or anything like that that brings this about. It's just the faithful witness of the church over time. That everywhere they go, they proclaim the good news of Jesus. And over time, people come to know him. I think that there is, there is something in our hearts that want the big events. And we feel like there is a lack of revival or or, or, or or God's presence when we don't have these huge things that result in huge results right away. What I love is what we're getting a snapshot into is, is the normal way that it happens. This is how God works for the most part. It's just with faithfulness over time. and We see the faithful witness of the church. So they were faithful in their witness that They weren't weren't counting on these huge moments for God to grow his church. They were just faithful where they were to proclaim who Jesus was. And over time, God used it. God, God grew his church through it. As we go on, we see that not only were they faithful in their witness, but they were faithful in their purpose. Starting in verse 23. So this is Barnabas. When he came and saw the grace of God he was glad and exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose for he was a good man full of the holy spirit and of faith and a great many people were added to the Lord so when he shows up there he shows up and he looks at them and he just says you know what just keep doing what you're doing he says he, he doesn't come up with a new plan. He's like, he doesn't say, hey, look, this is what the Jerusalem church is doing. And it's working there. So you should, really, you should really change what you're doing and do that here. This great model, there's three things that you do. And you just do that here. He didn't do that. He just showed up and recognized what they were doing. And they were faithful in their purpose. So he says, just keep doing it. They were faithful in what they were doing. They were focused. Now, I want to say something here because I think when we hear this idea of, Faithful in purpose, being, being consistent in purpose, what we think it means is being simple. There's this giant move for simplicity. Now, that doesn't mean that this isn't good advice in some circumstances, but I think when it creeps into the church, it can be dangerous. That being purposeful does not mean being simple. H.L. Mencken was uh, famous for saying... Um, For every complicated problem, there's a solution that is clear, that is simple, and that is wrong. Um, And what we see, because the truth is, what it means to witness, what it means to proclaim Jesus, happens in all of life. This is why you hear this language so much in this church. That every aspect of what we do, it's not just how we say a certain thing, or it's not just some program that we have, it's not just this experience, it's not just that experience, but it's all of it. It's all of it. It's not simple. It, sin and this brokenness in the world is complicated, and it takes a complicated solution. However, what he's saying here is that all of those are focused. They're all aimed towards Christ. And they were faithful in this. Everything that they did was pointed towards Christ. Everything that they did proclaimed the good news of Jesus in their lives, in in their families, in their jobs. Everything they did was focused in its purpose. They were a faithful church in their purpose. We go on to see that they were faithful in humble discipleship. It says, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. First off, I want to say something about Barnabas. Barnabas, can you imagine that this, this being what the Bible says about you? That he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and of faith. We've met Barnabas before. Barnabas was first introduced back in Acts chapter 4. He was used as kind of a, kind of a, a foil to Ananias and Sapphira. He was, a, he was probably a wealthy man who gave up everything, kind of sold everything and, and, and gave it to the church. This is also the man when, when Saul, who is a persecutor of the church after his Damascus Road experience, was sent down to Jerusalem. Nobody in Jerusalem wanted to meet with Saul. And, and to be fair, I wouldn't have either. He, he just oversaw the murder of one of their friends. But it was Barnabas, who was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, who vouched for him. So that's who Barnabas is. So he shows up. He is sent. He's not even just, he doesn't just go to Antioch. He is sent. And as I think through this, it's amazing what he does not do. Because this is probably what I would have done in this circumstance. I would have said, okay, Antioch, that's going to be my place. I'm being sent there. This is going to be, I can start my blog talk about how this, this, this Jewish convert goes to these Gentiles converts and grows this incredible church. I've been sent. I've been called. Do all this stuff. He shows up. And I think, that's, I think that's what we see, that this is some ladder that we get to climb. And Barnabas could have seen it in that regard, but he, he doesn't. When he shows up there, he sees the work that he's doing. He immediately recognizes that he is not the person for this job. That He's not the guy that's supposed to disciple and shepherd these people. He immediately recognizes his own place in the story. And he goes and he gets Saul. Because he knows that Saul is the right guy for this situation. He's this incredible man of humility. And he brings other people into that humility. It's it's incredible because Saul is going to spend an incredible amount of time with Barnabas. And maybe, maybe it's just that's, that Barnabas wasn't all that ambitious. Maybe he just doesn't think like that. He doesn't see moments and th- things like that as, as things to be seized. However, Saul is ambitious. We know this by Saul's past. We know this by Saul's history. Saul was top of his class. He was a zealot who persecuted the church. This is an incredibly ambitious man. Saul would have been very entrepreneurial. Like he would have been a go-getter. He is and, and still becomes a go-getter. However, you see the rest of his ministry, it is shaped by humility. Saul, who we know as Paul, is an incredibly humble man. It doesn't mean he's less driven, it just means that he's humble. And so we see the effect and influence that Barnabas has on shaping the culture of the Antioch church. That it is a culture of humble discipleship. John Calvin writes this, for then do we make room for Christ's grace, when in true humility of mind we feel and confess our own weakness. The valleys are watered with rain to make them fruitful, while in the meantime the high summits of the lofty mountains remain dry. Let that man, therefore, become a valley, who is desirous to receive the heavenly rain of God's spiritual grace. Barnabas was a man who lived in the valley. And he brought other people into that same valley. I think we all in our hearts want to be the people on the mountain. What Calvin's pointing out there is the mountain is dry. It is lifeless. Where true life grows is in in the valley. We see Barnabas as a man of the valley. He is a man who is humble. He brings this church into that same humility. That they are faithful and humble discipleship not only are they faithful in witness and in purpose and in humble discipleship, but we see that they are faithful in patience. The church is faithful in patience. Just this next sentence. It says, for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. For a whole year they sat down with them. This wasn't just some conference that they went to. Or something like that. This was an entire year they would sit and they would learn and they would grow. If you remember, just in the longer picture, this has been years of growth. There's probably a year before Barnabas was even ever able to go and get Saul for this purpose. And afterwards, when they go to Jerusalem, they're just going to spend another 10 years doing this thing. Before they are actually sent out on their missionary journeys. There's an incredible patience in the way they go about doing ministry here. They're not rushing Anything. Because it's interesting. Because the question they, that I've heard asked is how does Saul go from this uh, persecutor of the church to this man who goes out on all these incredible missionary journeys who ultimately is martyred in Rome? Because that's, that's, that's where we are. And that's where the rest, most of the book of Acts is going to focus on. This is Paul who writes most of the New Testament. That's who this guy is. They ask the question, how does he go from there to there? And the answer is just faithfulness over time. What we don't realize is that he spent years before ever walking into the thing that he was ultimately called to. Spent years. And I think what we want is we want to be Paul on the missionary journeys. We want that kind of level of holiness and Christ-likeness. But we don't want to be Paul in Tarsus. We don't want to be Paul in Antioch. We don't want to be Paul in Jerusalem. We don't want to be that person, that disciple that's just in waiting. We don't want to have the patience. But it's faithfulness over time. In the book, Along Obedience in the Same Direction, Eugene Peterson writes this. Says one aspect of the world that I have been able to identify as harmful to Christians is the assumption that anything worthwhile can be acquired at once. We assume that if something can be done at all, it can be done quickly and efficiently. Our attention spans have been conditioned by 30-second commercials, our sense of reality has been flattened by 30-page abridgments. It is not difficult in such a world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel. It is terrifically difficult to sustain its interest. Millions of people in our culture make decisions for Christ, but there is a dreadful attrition rate. Many claim to be born again, but the evidence for mature Christian discipleship is slim. In our kind of culture, anything, even news about God, can be sold if packaged freshly. But when it loses its novelty, it goes on the garbage heap. There's a great market for religious experience in our world. There's little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue, little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship, what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. It's a hard quote to read. It's an easy quote to read. He's a really good writer. It's a hard quote to hear. (laughs) He goes on after this to describe the difference between a tourist and a pilgrim. See, he says a tourist is somebody who enters a moment or enters a space for just a little bit of time. They're usually there with an agenda. They have no interest in anything that's going to take too long because they have to see everything. They consume something. They get something. They get a little trinket or something like that, and then they go back to their lives. That's what a tourist is. A pilgrim, however, is somebody who takes the long road, who doesn't see the destination as just something to do or to get, but the journey as important, that they submit themselves to the journey. They submit themselves to the way. They go not to consume, but to be formed, to be shaped. They go not to teach something, but to be taught. And they never walk away the same. That, that, that's kind of the description of what he calls a pilgrim. As I was reading this, I, I remember this moment uh, growing up. Uh, I had gone with, uh, with uh, our youth group to a town in, uh, in Spain called Santiago, Spain. We were there, basically, we were going to do street evangelism. I was playing bass in the band... And we were there, and, and, and that was kind of our, our goal. We were in this town, Santiago, Spain. It was northwest Spain, in this really old town. But we were there, and that's kind of what we were doing. And, and I'll, I'll just let you know right up front that my heart was that of a tourist in this story. So I was this tourist. I was there. Now, this town is the home of, of St. James Cathedral, which is where they, they say St. James uh, was buried um, there. There. And every year, there's this incredible pilgrimage that starts hundreds of miles away that leads and culminates at St. James Cathedral. We were actually there at the time the pilgrims were coming in. And they were going, they were entering, and there's this whole process of what you do, what you look at, what you do, how you experience this moment, this journey that goes through. And uh, to be honest, like, it didn't even occur to me until preparing for this sermon that this was what I was experiencing But but what I was experiencing was two ways of approaching the Christian life. Two ways of understanding faith. I was there with a purpose, not for a long period of time, to kind of consume and commodify faith. That wasn't necessarily everybody's heart, and I can't speak for everybody on the trip, but that was my heart. And then you have this group of pilgrims that have submitted themselves to this long process So we flew to Spain and we drove to Santiago. They had walked for hundreds of miles. They enter into the space. You know what's interesting is that when they were there, I was excited excited because I thought they needed me. (laughs) I was like, yes, finally, I can can share the gospel with them. I, I, I can hand them this thing that they can put in their back pocket. What I'm looking at as I look at this story now, and what I wish I would have known then is that they did not need me but I did need them. I needed somebody to show me what it looks like to be faithful over time, what it looks like to approach faith as a pilgrim, not as a tourist. You know, the real irony of the story, as I I reflect on it, so where we were at was in this, this beautiful square, like 10th century built square. It was incredible, the buildings around us, and literally right around the corner was this cathedral. And we were there for 12 hours, you know, maybe even longer, had a lot of downtime, stuff like that. And not once did I walk over to the cathedral, this place that everybody else had walked hundreds of miles to enter into. I didn't even go to it. I think I went to a gift shop. And that's the, that's the sadness of this, this mindset that we see creeping in, that I see creeping into my own heart, that we see the opposite of in this church. They were not tourists. They were pilgrims. They submitted themselves to the journey. They took the faithful and long road because that's what it takes to grow in Christ. So not only that, but we see that they were faithful in their identity. The last uh, sentence in this person says, And In Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So this is where the term comes from, by the way. And they didn't call themselves this. This wasn't like a branding thing. They're like, you know what, guys, we're large enough. We need a brand. Let's call ourselves Christians. This is other people outside of the church called them this. Some people argue that they were either making fun of them or at least they were recognizing something about this group of people. And what they were recognizing is that this was a group of people whose entire lives, everything about what they did was submitted to the rule and leadership of Christ, that is what they, they were known for. That is what it meant to be called a Christian. Is That it was not, it was not Caesar. It was not any Roman god. It's not anything like that. It was Christ that they had submitted everything to. And they were known for that. What's sad is I, I'm not sure if that's what we really want to be known for. J.I. Packer, while he's being interviewed by Jamin Goggin and Kyle Strobel in this book called The Way of the Dragon or The Way of the Lamb. It's a great book, by the way. Um, He writes this. He says, being special is the Achilles heel of many churches today. They want to stand out and be noticed. This is a result of of our culture. I think we're born, actually, with the idea that we're special. And we just want people to recognize that. So we're born into this idea and then we want to be, we're, we're going to be the small groups church. We're going to be the church that's known for its preaching. We're going to be the church that's known for its, its social justice. We're going to be the church that's known for its gifts of the spirit. We're going to be the church that's known for all of these things. And not saying that any of those things are bad, but that is not what we should be known for. That is not what makes us special. What makes us special is that our lives, everything about us, are submitted to Christ. And this church was faithful in its identity. It was unmistakable to the point that it wasn't them who called themselves this, it was others that recognized this about them, that everything in their life was submitted to Christ. And last, we have the story of the prophets. Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So it's making a point that this did actually happen, that there was a famine, it happened during the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So not only were they faithful in all these other things, but they were faithful in the way they stewarded things. They were faithful in their stewardship. When it came up, so Antioch, if you remember, Antioch is a wealthy place. Antioch is a thriving metropolis. It was like the New York City of that area. So most likely, not saying there weren't poor people in their midst, but most likely a lot of these were wealthy people that were in the Antioch church. But they were faithful. They recognized that their money was not just for gain. It was not for hoarding, but it was for the sake of generosity. And when a need came up, they were in a place where they could respond to it. This is still one of, one of those outward signs of a faithful church. That a church that is faithful, that it is faithful in its resources. And not so that it can just have a bunch of it, but so it, it be generous. It was, they stewarded their resources for the sake of generosity. And they recognized that there was people living in Judea who was a poor area, which was a poor area. And they said, we, we need to send them resources if this is coming. They were faithful in their stewardship. You know, it's interesting. As I was preparing for this sermon and and, and as I was thinking through, I had really two two responses in my own heart towards this stuff. The first was one of of heaviness. Because as I was reading through these things of, of, of what it looks like to be a faithful church, what a long obedience in the same direction looks like, my heart was heavy because I know the temptation of not doing these things. I understand, both in my own heart and as this church, I get the temptation. I feel it. I, see, I feel it all the time. I feel that temptation to just say, you know what, we're gonna, we're going to have evangelism be just this one thing. We'll do it once a year. That's when we'll witness, and then we'll just go about our lives. It's a lot simpler. It's a lot easier. I feel this temptation to get involved in all of these things. And not that we shouldn't get involved in a lot of things, but to do it in a way that doesn't point to Christ. I feel this temptation towards it. I feel this temptation for myself and for this church towards the mountaintop. That we want to be known, we want to ascend, we want to climb. I feel that temptation. I feel the heaviness and the weight of all of it. I feel the temptations towards tourism. It's a lot easier to be a tourist. I feel it. I feel the weight of it. I feel the weight of wanting to be known for what we're special for. Be known for our music or for our preaching or for our small groups. Be known for all of these things. I feel this temptation to be special. And I feel the temptation to recognize that we have what we have so we should either need to just kind of live like live at large or hoard it. I feel all of those temptations, and I know that we could step into all of those things and have, at times, stepped into those things. So there is a deep heaviness because this, sadly, is, is, a, is pushing against so much of kind of the American church. And We are a church in America. This pushes against so many of the values that we see infiltrating and, and breathing into this church. So I was heavy, because I know the temptation, but I was also hopeful. This isn't me kind of saying, hey, look at us, but this is me reflecting on what I've experienced, not just as a pastor, but as a participator in this church over the last three years. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful because I think that this church is faithful in its witness. Every single week, we are submitting to the word of God. We're proclaiming it with boldness. Every single week in your homes, in our small groups, in in all all of the events that we have, all of the Bible studies we have, as we hear people talking to one another, as we sing together, all of these things are proclaiming consistently and faithfully the good news of Jesus. And I'm so thankful for that because we get to see its work happen over time. I'm hopeful because I see in us Purpose. This mantra of all of life being all for Jesus—that has shaped me in incredible ways. To understand that it's not just one thing; it's all things that lead to Christ. Incredible amount of purpose and thought that is put into all of the things that this church is doing. So thankful for it. So thankful for a culture of humble discipleship. For example, I am not the main preaching pastor of this church. I don't know if we know this. Maybe because it's been become so common, but it is rare. That people who are not the preaching, the main lead pastor of a church, to get to preach as often as we do. But this is partly embedded in the culture. We have a humble discipling leader. We have a humble discipling culture that recognizes that we do not want celebrity pastors. And it's not because we don't have the talent for people to do that, it's that we don't think it's good for the church, that we think it's evil. And so therefore we share it, we bring people up. We don't ever allow this to become just somebody's pulpit, but it, it's, it's, it's the word of God's pulpit, and we are just faithful stewards of it. I am an example of humble discipleship because this is not my main role in the church, but I'm getting to participate, and I'm getting to do it. So we have that, and that's across the board. I think we're faithfully patient, and this is probably the thing that we continually need to grow in, but I, but I do see when we, when we judge the way this church is doing, it's not about the short-term wins. It's about what are we, what's happening long-term. So it's a large view, long view of growth, of, of change, of, of maturity. And I appreciate that about this church. I love that we're, I think, faithful in our identity. And now this is the trap, once again, that we can easily fall into. But that I want us to be known, and I think that in many ways we are known because we submit to Christ. And that we are also faithful in the way we steward our money. Like, I, I get to sit on the elder board and, and, I, and I get to see the decisions that are made through the wisdom of the people that are called into that role. And it's so exciting to see the way that we've been able to respond to certain things. So, yes, I am, I'm, I'm heavy as I see this because I know that it is tempta- tempting and that it is real to fall into this faithless church, to go for the quick thing. But I'm so thankful that we are in this church that is at least trying to submit and be faithful in the long obedience in the same direction. So I guess what, what I ultimately want to close with is what Barnabas says. That's to stay faithful and steadfast in purpose. Remain faithful and steadfast in purpose. Don't fall a victim to the temptation of the glamorous, of the quick, And of the big let's stay faithful in with steadfast purpose I want us to be a church of pilgrims that walk through the valley that's what I want us to be I want us to live this long obedience in the same direction and in 10 20 30 40 50 years to be able to look back and see the faithfulness of God in the midst of his people I want us to live this faithful presence in this city, in this community. That's my hope, is that we would stay faithful and be a church of long obedience. Let me pray. Lord God, we love you. Lord, we are so thankful for your faithfulness, God, to us. God, that we, um, although we are fickle at times, although we are constantly turned and, and, and tossed, God, to seek these things in ways that are not like you, God. I pray that you, Lord Jesus, Lord, that you would teach us faithfulness. Lord, I pray that you would give us, God, um, an incredible understanding and a long view of what it means to be a Christian, of what it means to be a church. And God, that we would stay wholly submitted to you in everything that we do. Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen.